Amen, amen, amen. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to, again, the Epiphany Fellowship's first uh, Sunday morning, Sunday morning gathering. Uh, honor and privilege, again, to be with you and us to be together and for us to serve uh, the Lord together. Just a few things before we begin. Um, we're excited um, this in our second gathering to be graduating about 85 new members. 85 new members. Amen. Amen. So I'm very, very uh, excited about that and excited to um, be able to give the right hand of fellowship. Right hand of fellowship is a very, very biblical idea. Um, Peter actually received that right hand in Galatians chapter 2 when they acknowledged that he was, uh, Paul rather, uh, when they acknowledged that he was an authentic believer and they welcomed him into the church as one. And so that's why we do the right hand of fellowship to, so that the church plays a role in acknowledging that we're in fellowship with one another as the body of Christ. And I'm thankful for the opportunity three times a year to be able uh, to be a part of uh, people's journey and, and them to be a part of our journey as we become together. And so when we become, when you become a covenant community member, you can't say what y'all are up to. I remember, I don't know who I was corrected up, but I said, ain't y'all no more, it's us. You know what I'm saying? So it's a we now. So if they talk about you, they talk about me. If they talk about me, they talk about you. Because it's not you and me. It's oh, I'm gonna do better than that. It's it's not you or me or me or you, but it's Amen, Amen, Amen. And so um, I'm thankful for that. Uh, don't forget about Malawi. A few weeks ago, we thank God for um, all the resources that came in for uh, our church planting efforts. And so we're 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 unduly excited about what God is up to with church planting and then also what we're doing, what we want to partner with people with around the globe. And so as we partner with Malawi um, today, uh, please, if you can't do today, um, maybe in a few weeks, but set something aside to be able to love the Lord through this opportunity. Also, lastly, make sure I want to emphasize this, that we join Epiphany Camden in helping them in their missionary efforts uh, in Camden by us showing a husky presence for them. We want, we want it to be overflow up in that mug, you know what I'm saying? Um, thick, and they're going to hit up the neighborhood pre and post to be able to share Jesus with some folks. Some folk have already come over from the projects right across the street from them and have met Jesus Christ as Savior. And so, amen, amen, amen. And so, and so we want to continue to partner with them in those efforts. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Um, we're ready to dig up in these scriptures today. Uh, we're going to be in verses 12 to 17. We may not get to 17, I'm, I'm wrestling with whether or not I'm going to save that for next time, but it, it acts as a bridge, if you will, between the text before it and the text after it. So I could touch on it both times, but I want us to read it anyway. When you get there, say amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, verses 12, 12 uh, through verse 17. Uh, I'll, I'll start, you finish, let's go. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Keep going.
Amen, amen, amen. I want to talk about this week uh, a crazy title. I want to talk about divorce and remarriage today. I know I won't get no amens on that, but um, we're here in the text and we're going to deal with it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We honor you for all of your word. And every single word that's written is in this Bible is from you. And, and, uh, and you demand that that whole counsel be poured out uh, to your people so that people can know your way of thinking and know your way of doing things in every single area of our lives, Lord God. And, and I, t- I count it a joy that you've pushed us into a commitment uh, to preaching everything that you say. Uh, um, one of the things that's a temptation for us as pastors, God, is wanting the word that connects with people so that they can say that you bless them. Not you, but the preacher. Every now and then, you just got to preach what's there and let the word and the chips fall where they may. And so, God, today, we trust you in every single jot and tittle uh, of your word that it would go forth in power and in strength and even comfort that this does touch many of us. Because not far from many of us, the issues in this text have either touched us individually or someone we're less than six degrees of separation from. And so, Lord God, in order to be glorified, we need oil. We need heaven's power, heaven's breath, heaven's strength, so that hearts can be touched, lives can be changed, and, um, and, 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 and your word can go forth. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength, our redeemer, in whom we trust, in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, you know, as you go across the body of Christ... Uh, you can find that there are a, a, several things, and I'm talking about the authentic church, that the authentic church, the biblical church, would agree on. Um, we, we, would, we would hopefully, if they're authentically Christian, agree on the fact that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is sufficient to bring somebody in a relationship with God. Amen, somebody. Uh, uh, we, 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 we would hope that they believe in the inerrancy and infallibility of the Scriptures, uh, we would hope that they believe in the simultaneous existence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Three persons, uh, yet, 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 yet one, one God, a.k.a. what we would dub the Trinity. Amen, somebody. We, we, would, we, would, we would hope that they believe in the hypostatic union, that Jesus Christ is not a demigod. He's not 50-50. He's 100-100. He's 100% God. In the hood, we say 100, we won't say 100. 100 mean you real about what you're really saying. Um, so, so you're 100% God and 100% man, united in one person, unmixed two natures, united in one person forever. Hypostasis. We hope we believe that. There, there are some non-negotiables um, in the church that we should be believing on in relation to what the Bible says. However, there are open-handed issues and there are closed-handed issues. Are you tracking with me? Uh, um, you got to be careful of making open-handed issues a closed-handed issues. Uh, 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 
However, however, as we look span across that, we could talk about the gifts. We could talk about um, men and women in leadership. And we could talk about a whole lot of things. We could even talk about uh, um, 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 views of divorce and remarriage, if you will. And, and, and you could talk to different Christians on all of those different subjects, and you'll get uh, um, um, different sort of views on it. And what's interestingly enough, I can remember when I was sitting before the ordination council at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, and they took me through three sections of, uh, of, of my ordination. The first thing they took me through was the theological section. I was scared to death at that table. You don't understand how I've never been that nervous ever in my life. I mean, most of those guys were in ministry longer than I was living. You know, and so to have them sit in front, so I asked the doctrinal section. wasn't didn't wasn't really nervous about that, you know, uh, in that in that section. And then they they asked me um um uh, just just some general uh, theological questions, some biblical questions, and then they began to ask me some practical questions based on what I believed and said about those theological issues, and and, and I could remember um them looking at me like I was crazy in certain practical sections. They were with me theologically, but they thought that, man, you haven't dealt with enough people yet, Doc. Um, in the way you're talking right now, you, 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 there is, there, we, you're all theologian and scholar right now, but, but Doc, you're going to have to, you gonna have, when you start dealing with some hurt people and some brokenness, it's not going to change your theology, but more deeply inform it. And, 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 and as a pastor, as I get into a subject like divorce and remarriage, I don't take it lightly. I guarantee you if I said today, how many of you have been specifically touched in your life by divorce and or remarriage, um, raise your hand. Now let me see you raise your hand. How many of you have been touched in any way by divorce? or remarriage in your life. Parents divorce, you divorce, somebody, friends divorce, somebody near you got a divorce. Uh, um, um, let, let, me just, let me just say this to you. Divorce and remarriage is messier than just marriage. And so in order to deal with all of the complexities of these issues, we have to have the strength of God's grace and love undergirding the attitude and disposition towards what we're going to talk about today, yet that's not a reason to run away what the Bible teaches. Are you tracking with me? And so there has to be a marriage of sorts of that because most of us in our lives have dealt with this, and some of you, under the sound of my voice, as, as, as much <coughs> as we're doing premarital counseling, and as much as we're praying for you, and as much as we love you, many of you are going to, some of you are going to deal with some marital issues that may or may not lead to divorce and remarriage. And so before you get to that point, before you get to that place, I, I, I think there's some principles that I would love for us to dig into from a biblical perspective from the scriptures to help frame how we view not just divorce and remarriage, but this, this, these verses are more about the sanctity of marriage than divorce and remarriage. Okay? And, 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 and so Paul begins at going through this section um, undergirded under the uh, overarching idea of sexuality. Under that umbrella, he, he, he has... Uh, a two sub-umbrellas, and that is marriage and singleness. So, so there are two sub-subjects 
under the big umbrella of sexuality. And so as he begins to, he, he begins to put uh, singleness on the back burner just for a second until he gets to verse 17 and 18 and on and deal with the issue of marriage because the Corinthians ran into a major issue. They ran into a major issue. <coughs> Some men and women who trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, their whole household didn't. And because their whole household did not trust Jesus Christ as Savior, i.e. their spouse or someone that they were betrothed to, um, they began growing in Jesus Christ, and some didn't grow much. They had some immature issues, and others uh, began to grow and be strengthened in the Lord Jesus Christ a little bit, and they began to wonder, what do I do with this spouse that's giving me all this hell about my new faith? It don't get no more practical than that. You have two people. This ain't somebody. We ain't talking about two people. Like some of us in our day and culture, I don't care how fine they are. I'm just going to marry. He got a job. She got a job. She can take his. I'm just going to marry them because they got more than most Christians I know. That ain't biblical. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll get there one day in Jesus' name. But, but today, I'm not trying to. I don't want you to walk away from this. Some of some. Well, pastor said this is what you need to do if you are married to. If, if you, I'm not saying if you're going to marry an unsaved person. It's if you're already in a marriage to an unsaved person. Now, I don't want you to get in my face and start talking about, Pastor, I need to talk to you about my spouse today because I knew it. I know they come to church. I know they pray. I know they said the sinner's prayer. But I want to talk to you about my spouse. I, I'm going to rebuke you in Jesus' mighty name. All right, and so, and so, and so Paul, Paul is, is specifically talking today to this group of people. <coughs> my, my, um, I'm, I'm going to read something in a second, but I want to dive into scriptures real quick. Verse 12, <coughs> he says, to the rest, to the rest I say, I, <coughs> not the Lord. Now, when he says, I, not the Lord, verse 12, he's not saying <coughs> that he's divorcing what he's saying from what the Lord says. <coughs> He's saying, based on what Jesus already taught in several places in Scripture, Matthew 5, uh, Matthew 19, there are some ways in which he is going to build <clears throat> on the idea of marriage that Jesus didn't talk about in his earthly ministry. Jesus Christ touched on a whole bunch of stuff in his earthly ministry, but ultimately he was going to raise up apostles through the Holy Spirit who were going to communicate and strengthen the church through carrying on his earthly ministry by helping them to get clarity on a lot of different subjects. And let me just tell you something just for free. The, the, most of the New Testament came out of the messiness of broken Christians. It didn't come out of perfect situations. Most of us think the Word of God was written out of perfect situations. It was written out of and to very, 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 very broken issues. And so people that tell me, I want to go back to the early church, I'm like, which one? Because they just as messy as we are today. Some people have an idealistic view of the early church. But he said, the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Wow. So, so, so Paul, is, so some of the Corinthians were coming to him saying, yo, Paul, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling my spouse. I'm not feeling my spouse. They don't love the Lord. You know, when I say I'm going to give my tithes and offerings, you know what I'm saying, to the church, you know, they looking at me funny. 
You know, when I say I'm going to the church picnic, they looking at me funny. When I say I'm giving to the Malawi offering, they looking at me funny. Y'all ain't hearing me today. When we want, when we want to get a church planning, they looking at me funny. I, I, um, 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 when, when, when I, there's certain things that I won't be involved in anymore. And so it's the places where we had common ground, we no longer have common ground because I know the Lord. So Paul, like in Nehemiah, you remember when in Nehemiah, Paul, when Nehemiah, because they had that in mind, they said, they said he made them divorce the unbelievers. And so what should we do? I mean, he pulled some people's hair out because they were, I don't want you to pull my hair out, Paul. You know what I'm saying? So what should I do about my unsaved spouse? And Paul says, do they want to stay with you? Well, yes, they, they, they love me. They still think I'm fine and everything. He says, well, stay. Now, that's interesting that Paul would call them to remain in a relationship that would seem like it had two, they were at two different spectrums. <clears throat> but but, but Paul, Paul uses the word consent. Somebody say consent. That means, that, it means in the Greek to consent, all right? It means I'm all right with you. You know, I'm going to let you do your Christian thing, and I still want to be married to you in the midst of you growing in your Christianity, which is powerful and, and, and very, very good for the development of a believer because what it now does is it now strengthens the believer who is in this marriage to play a particular role, and it will help you to grow up in your faith. Because I've, I've, I've had to deal with, as a pastor, <coughs> the issue <coughs> of an unsaved spouse. I still deal with spouses coming to church without their spouse, not because they're on a business trip, but because they don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. <laughs> and then having to pastor and shepherd people through the difficulties of their lives not being as on the up as they'd like to be, sometimes God is allowing you to be in that situation for a reason that you don't even know why you're in that situation. I ain't going to get no help, but it's okay. In verse 13, it says, if any woman has a husband, usually you empathize with the woman. You know what I'm saying? You, I know Paul going to have a different principle. You know, I understand the man, man up and stay in the marriage, right? You know, but ladies, it should be a different situation with the ladies, you know, because ladies can't control what a man going to do. I mean, he's the spiritual leader, leading her in all kinds of directions. Plot out, Paul should give her the opportunity to stab out. Let's see what the text say, though. He said, he said, and he consents to live. Somebody say live. Live with her, she should not. That subjunctive has imperatible force, by the way. Should isn't, you know, might or might not. Should means don't here. Divorce him. So you mean to tell me that a woman who's married to an unsaved man can remain in relationship with an unsaved man with all his unsavedness? Yes. Now that don't mean that you're going to marry. Let me, I got to say that over and over and over again. I got to keep saying it because I don't want you walking away. To my, I knew that I could be something for him, see? You know what I'm saying? So no, because women, y'all, let me just say something about sisters. Y'all have the Savior syndrome. See, what y'all try to do, let me just say this to the single. Let me see. Um, what y'all try to do is y'all try to find a man with good preferences of yours. I know I'm preaching, but you ain't got to say amen. Um, listen, listen, listen. And, and you find him with all your, he got everything I want. 
He got all the money I would want, but all he need is a sprinkle of the blood of Jesus. And if he get just a, just a drop, the Bible says it goes from the highest of highs to the Lord. So if he just get a drop of Jesus with all that fineness and with all that money and with all them connections plus Jesus, right? But I had so many sisters I had to talk off the ledge because you then got emotionally attached to a joker. Y'all ain't talking back to me, but that's okay. And so, and so I'm, trying to, I'm trying to preach you out of a problem early. So this is for the people that's already done married a joker. But don't forget that one day in the past you were a jokette. Y'all ain't going to talk back to me. It's okay. It's okay. She said don't divorce them. Don't divorce them. Don't be trying to find ways to create issues in the marriage. You know what I'm saying? Don't let your create Christianity become divisive. If there's disagreement in the marriage, even if your spouse is spiritually immature and you're unsure about their salvation because they're quote-unquote carnal Christians, don't you push them away because you don't, they're not where you want them to be right now. Y'all ain't going to talk back to me. It's okay. And, and for the single people, I know you're looking at me, Pastor, what does this have to do with me? Listen, give you a couple more years and some issues. We'll see where you are, and you're going to be standing up on the amen with the Bible under your hand, too, for where you're going to be. Verse 14. It's all right. It's all right. Verse 14, he says, he says, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of, this is to me, these are some profound verses. <laughs> these are profound. Check it out. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Check, let, me, let me stop right here. The larger theological grid that he's working on here is he's using something that's trying to trump their argument about unbelievers being off limits in the sense of already being married to him. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel were supposed to be a believing people. They were not supposed to mix with unbelievers, right? Jesus, one day, Peter, Peter, um, um, some, he, he, he's chilling on a rooftop. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what he's doing up there. He's praying, he's fasting, he's chilling. And there's some grilling going, it's a cookout around him. You know what I'm saying? Folk got hog maws and some of y'all don't know nothing about that. Um, some, some, some ribs and some, you know, some fat back and, and, you know, Peter up on the roof. You know what I'm saying? And he sniff, he, he has some sniff issues. You know what I'm saying? He's like, wow. Pork do smell good, but I ain't fooling with it, right? People was, you know, having chocolate-covered uh, cicadas and all of that. Y'all, y'all, don't know, y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. Wait 17 and a half years, you'll see what I'm talking about. And so, and so, and so God comes to Peter in a dream. And, and, a, and, and four corners of a box comes out of heaven with all kinds of creepy things inside of it. And when all of that came down, uh, God, a voice comes from heaven and says, Paul, rise, kill, and eat. And, then, and then, now... He's going to correct the Lord. You know what I'm saying? So he's going to say, Lord, how are you going to ask a brother? Far be it from me. I ain't touched nothing unclean all the days of my life. And guess what God tells Peter? What I have called clean, don't you call unclean. And so then the Bible says, and with this, this is based on Christ's principle in the Gospels where he proclaimed no people off limits and no part of creation off limits as ceremonially unclean. Now, this is an upgrade from just not unclean. He called unbelievers holy. 
Hold on. How do you call somebody that ain't in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ holy? That means because of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, God has done for a vessel of wrath before it gets saved, something that God gives the great, it's, it's so much New Old Testament imagery here, but what God does is say, I am going to make them ceremonially clean so that when you're intimate with them, when you're relating to them, that they're not off limits, but I'm going to put them on limits because I got you on a mission in this relationship. Oh, you, you, ain't, you, you know what I mean? See, 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 our problem with many of us is we don't view marriage as a mission field. See, that's, that's good for the people that got a saved spouse. You felt it in your spirit when I said that. Listen, listen, when you get marriage, ain't, ain't just about hitting something. It's about being something. And, and, so, and so what he says here, and he powerfully helps us with, he's, he, said, he says they're made holy. The, the, the unbeliever is made holy because of you. It's in, he points it, he said, because of your presence in the marriage, I have a witness now in that house that I did not have before. I, I never had a witness in this house before. What, what would you, when Jesus saved people or healed them, what was the first thing he would tell them to do? Go back to your house and do what? Tell them all of the good things that the Lord has done for you. Listen, you're on a mission to continue to nag people about how good God is. See, sometimes you can, you can share the gospel, penal substitution, and atonement, by grace alone, to faith alone. Sometimes you can just say, you know what? We ain't had no money in the bank, and things were pretty tight, but the Lord came through, didn't he? And you just, nah, you ain't got to share. Listen, listen, sometimes you can just tell somebody that don't believe about the goodness of God, and, and you just, and just continue to shower them with a divine perspective about what God is up to, and what God does is powerful. God allows unbelievers to be blessed by the hedge of protection that's around the believer in the house. <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's, that's crazy. That now, that you, now, don't go to your unsafe spouse and say, you got some benefits. Um, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You benefiting all some stuff because I'm here. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm the spiritual person in this household. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to put my, and you know what I'm saying? It, sisters, be nice. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Fellas, be nice. Don't lead like an ogre. Lead like a servant. Yeah. Then, he said, then he said, because they were, he said, otherwise your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Now, he's not saying they're saved. Both the spouse and the child, he's not saying that they're saved. But, 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 he, but he's, saying, he's saying that your, your union I've blessed and even the product of your union is blessed still even though your family is not redeemed by the blood of the lamb yet. The key word is yet. And then he, then he goes down and then he says, and, and, I, and I love this, he says, verse 15, he says, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. So this means, this means, now, this is called abandonment, okay? Now, you don't, now remember me, don't force an abandonment, okay? I'm a, I would say that three more times, but don't force it. But, but he said, if the, if, the, if the unbelieving partner, not because you're nagging them about the gospel, but because of the, because during this time, Christians were persecuted, 
And because Christians were persecuted, there was business losses. There were all different types of things that would happen just because you, we don't even know nothing about that today. Where, where your economic situation is, and sociological situation is affected by just the fact that you named the name of Jesus. We don't know nothing about that today. But see, in their day, it was extremely different that when you became a believer and people know, knew it, it would impact because they didn't like Christianity for the obvious reasons. And so, and so what would happen is some unbelieving spouses say, I can't take the persecution that's coming on you in our household because of this. And so it says, if the person, the separate here ain't talking about what we believe separation is. The word here for separation isn't let's spend time apart. The word for separation here literally means divorce, means divorce. And so, and so if that person falls back and doesn't want to be, he said, it, it, it's okay to consent in that matter. And we've had cases like that where, 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 the, where the unbelieving spouse just abandoned the relationship. And he said, in such cases, this, this is gracious. I mean, it's gracious. It's not God's best, but it's gracious here that God allowed this. And he said, in this case, in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. Meaning, meaning that they're not bound. The word there means bound. That means covenantally bound to that relationship because marriage is first a covenant, okay? The relationship flows from the covenant. And so that means that God, when the unbelieving spouse now, they have to be, you can't say, well, they profess Christ. Like, it's some people, sometimes you ask them, is your spouse saved? Eh, I don't know where they say they're a believer. Hold on, wait, that's all you know. You don't know their heart. It got real quiet on that part. Because some of us want to make them an unbeliever so that we can have a free divorce. But that's not what the text is saying. We're talking about clear, un- we're talking about prof- no profession of Jesus Christ here. We're not talking about they, well, they trusted Jesus Christ like when they was five, but, in the, but they, that ain't none of your, well, okay. You can't say they're not saved, all right? But here it's talking about clear, unbelieving status here in the text. And this idea, again, me, me, slave means they're not bound or you're not bound in that marital covenant to fight. Now, now that doesn't mean you don't fight for the marriage. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, because he's going to talk about peace in a second, and we can pull principles of priests from Hebrews 12 and also uh, Romans chapter uh, 12, 18. Okay, but, 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 but after you fought and you've tried to do all that you could do to, 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 to hold the marriage together and to bring that spouse back into a relationship with you and all of those different things, then if you've done all that you could with that and that spouse decides to fully abandon the relationship, then that person, the unbelieving spouse, it does that, you're free to not be married to that person anymore. But the question, though, is are you free to be remarried? Now look at what the verse says at the end of it. God has called you to peace. That is, that is a weird place to put that. Um, being called to peace means that, th- that there was a lot of fighting and issues in the marriage. And being together wasn't peaceful. Because, so remember earlier, it basically says that a Christian and a non-Christian who's already married can have a peaceful relationship based on them being made holy. But there are cases when the unbelieving spouse, now, the onus is not on the believing spouse while and out and leaving. It, the onus is on the unbeliever's reaction to that. Now, I'm not saying if the unbeliever is beating 
the spouse that you can't get out of the house. You get out of the house, and if you got kids, you get out as fast as you can and you, and, 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 until God works something out. Okay? Okay? But, 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 but until then, we're called a Romans 12, 8 is, if possible. I like that. The Bible, no people. <laughs> it said, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everybody. So that means you need to put the onus on you to always be the person that initiates reconciliation in every relationship, especially in marriage. So, so if you know that there are issues between you and anybody else, especially your spouse, your goal is you need to take the initiation to bridge the gap between the issues that you and your spouse got. That's biblical. Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone. Then, and then listen to what it says, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So it calls seeking peace an act of holiness. It's an act of holiness, right? Because they're made holy. And so we should be engaging in holy activity with that person. Now, I know someone is asking theologically, can I get a divorce at all? I always get that question. It's always interesting when there's a marriage problem. Somebody says, can I get it? I get concerned when I get the can I get a divorce. I get a little bit concerned. Um, but there are biblical allowances for divorce. Adultery, uh, Hebrew, I mean, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 19, adultery, and that's even with a believing spouse. That's the only ground for divorce with a believing spouse. Only one. I, I, I wish there, the Bible talked and helped us more with this, but this is where the Bible lands, and guess where Pastor Mason lands? Where the Bible lands. All right? All right? And the second one is abandonment by a non-Christian. There are Christians that view that abandonment can apply to believing Christians. I don't, I don't, I don't I, the text just won't let me do that. You know, I've seen a lot of hardship. I've seen people, a husband get life in prison. Husband get life. And pastoring someone through that is a monster. How you pastor a spouse through the fact that their wife got life in prison? What do you tell them? I know you're like, what do you tell them? Um, you, you deal with all of these different difficult issues with husbands and wives dealing with these issues of divorce and remarriage, and you have to be able to, again, we have to lay down on the biblical answers in this particular area. I want to go a little further before we close this out because I want us to get some clarity, uh, just, just continue to get some clarity on a biblical understanding of divorce and remarriage. Verse 16. This is powerful. He says, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? It's powerful here that God gives them not an out but a commitment. He gives them a commitment. This is how serious marriage is. He, he, called, he, said, he said, how do you know if God won't use you to lead that husband to Jesus Christ? Amen. How do you know that God won't lead, use you to lead that wife to the Lord Jesus Christ? As a matter of fact, 1 Peter 3.1 starts with women being a missionary in their marriage to a non-saved man by being quiet as a missionary. The Bible says if, if, if a sister would just not talk, he'll know that you saved. 
and he'll want to be saved. It's in the book. I ain't make it up, you know what I'm saying? You know, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and the Bible in Ephesians chapter 5 calls men have a, having a salvific role in their relationship with their spouse. Means if you would just serve your spouse like Christ served the church, she, instead of wanting to be served, maybe God will do something in that relationship. And so he said, how, how do you know? And what I like about this last verse on this is, is it speaks to all of our marriages. It speaks to all of our marriages. Don't give up on your marriage. Because know what it says? How, I translate this real cool. How do you know what Jesus Christ is going to do in the life of your spouse? Let me, tell, let me give you a principle here. Christians, you need Jesus in your marriage. You need Jesus Christ. Christian marriages, you need Jesus in your marriage. And this, this can apply, even though it's specifically to a believer, it still applies to us. Don't, it, 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 if he's telling a believer to not give up on a non-believer in a marriage, how much more do us who are believers shouldn't be giving up on our spouse who is a believer? I, I, I know we got issues. You got issues. I got issues. All of God's people got issues. I, I don't care how frustrated with, with them that you are. Can you imagine the testimony in your marriage? You ain't got to Instagram everything. Can you imagine the testimony in your marriage of the brokenness and the divides and the breaches and the tears that you cry next to your spouse? And you're just asking God, not just work on them, God. Work, work on them. I know, I know they got, I, I'm frustrated with their issues, but I know I got blind spots too. I got blind, and so God, help me with my blind spots. Because maybe my blind spots is causing their blind spots. And so God, will you apply the blood of Jesus to my eyes? To my eyes. I don't, let me not point the finger. I'm not going to point the finger at them. Start with me in this marriage. See, that's, that's the spirit of the text. The spirit of the text is start with me. If you, got, if you start with me, things can change. If, imagine if husband and wife said start with me separately yet simultaneously. God will lay that cross down as a bridge for you to come and meet at the cusp of the cross. I'm, I'm, I'm praying for marriages today that you would believe God for marriages. All you folk that want to be married, you're you, you going to need to ask God to don't just pray for your spouse that you want to marry. Pray for you that you would deal with you with Jesus and that they would deal with them with Jesus. Because when y'all get together, when you got two people dealing with Jesus Christ, anything's possible. But if you got two people that's wrapped up in self, man, and, but then you cloak it in theological and spiritual language. You know, like, you, you know, I got a, I'm, you know, my spouse is in a place. Shut up. Shut your mouth. 
shut your mouth and break your heart before God. And ask God to help you to see you. What did Jesus say in Matthew 7? He says, before you could talk about the speck in somebody else's eye, he said the speck may not be in their eye, it may just be the log that looks small that's in your own eye. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. So get up off your high holy horse and get on mission being changed. Because the thing that could change your spouse is you being changed, not you trying to change them. And when I read my Bible, it never says that anybody changes anybody's life. So I'm done. Father God, Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, um, <clears throat> marriage is a great place to be in. It's great. The challenge is reading our unbiblical ideals on others and wanting them to be conformed to our image versus Jesus Christ's image. That's one of the hardest parts of marriage is you have a dream of what you want your spouse to look like but it doesn't always match up with what Christ wants them to look like. And so, like Isaiah said, when faced with his sin, he says, I am a man undone. And he said, here I am, Lord, send me. And so God, just as Isaiah was cleansed of his issues to be a servant to others, I pray in our marriages that the same would be true. Lord, every week I know my wife and I are faced with our selfishness. I know every week, every day, I'm faced with at least 20,000 issues of personal selfishness that you have to walk me through to repent of. And, and, and the great part about it is having someone that knows Jesus Christ who can forgive, who can, you can reconcile with, who you can experience restoration with, and who you can renew our commitment and love for one another to. And I pray for the person that's divorced in here. And they may even have an unbiblical divorce. I pray for them today, God, that you would touch them in their mistake, that you would touch them in their challenge, Lord God, and release them from the bondage of their condemnation. Because the Bible said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I pray for those who feel like they're cursed to be alone. Um, God, will you restore and reconcile and forgive and let them know that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with you remarrying, but God, I pray that they would deal with all of the issues that they can and go on before you. And not just saying the reason why I got a divorce because of them. Even if it was the... The, the ex-spouse's adultery. But Lord God, even seeing and being willing to be open to that, and I'm not trying to condemn them, but us being clear that Lord God, we all need your strength. And God, your forgiveness and your blood covers a multitude of sins. And I just pray for husbands and wives who are here today and they're wrestling. They came in here looking good together but they probably argued their way all the way here. And God, I'm praying for them. I'm praying that they would 
not just have a vow renewal ceremony, but they would open up their hearts and say, God, where in this is my issues? And what do I need to work through to grow and be better? Maybe someone here and they're married to someone unsaved. I pray for the salvation of that spouse who has been not made off limits, but because of the presence of the saved spouse has been made on limits. And God, I pray for those, I guess, see several engaged folk in here, quite a few rather, and I pray that you would touch them. Touch them to, touch them to have a passion to be changed by Jesus. Because when you have someone that has a passion to be changed by Jesus, it just makes marriage better. And so, God, I pray for them. I pray for those longing to be married, that they won't rush into something that will later be trouble for them. I pray that you would give them, help not give them patience. They already have it if they're a believer. Help them to walk in the patience that you've already given them. So that they can, so that God, all of that, so, so that they can say, I'm going to maximize this season of my life no matter what. And we're going to encourage them next week. But God, I pray that they would find themselves the, under the shepherd who doesn't allow them to want. And God, we honor you and we bless you. And we pray.